It's Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. This is the show for folks who don't mind moderators who ask hard questions, and tonight we've got three guests that should be joining us. Uh, but before I introduce them, let me introduce my co-host, Alana. How you doing? I'm great. I'm so glad to have something far more positive to do right now the same night as the debate, although it sounds like at least to, to follow the folks who've been text messaging me frantically, it sounds like we're having a pretty good run of it, but uh, I couldn't bring myself to watch. <laughs> uh, well, I, I was watching a little bit before, so I'll finish it up after the show wraps up. Um, and I think we've got some of our guests on. Um, is we'll, we'll introduce them <laughs> before we actually get into it. Uh, so we've got the creators of Joyride, um, really kind of a fun series about a group of teenagers kind of on the run from a future Earth that really, really sucks. Uh, so we've got three creators, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, are writers with decades of experience in a variety of mediums from uh, features, animation, and comic books. As comic creators, Lansing and Kelly have written for DC, Boom, IDW, uh, such series as Batman, Robin, Eternal, Grayson, and Hacktivist. This year, they've released their first creator-owned comic with Boom Studios, Joyride, which is now in its fifth issue. The trade paperback just came out. And their artistic partner, Marcus Toe, uh, is a best-selling illustrator and storyteller who lives in Toronto, Canada. He's worked for uh, DC doing so many uh, superheroes, Red Robin, Huntress, Batwing, Flash, Wonder Woman. Uh, Awesome, awesome artwork. Uh, he's a proud member of Raid Studios and currently working on his own creator-owned project with Joyrides. Uh, he's also one of the artists for Nightwing. Uh, you can find him at MarcusToe.com. So, I think we've got a few of them on. I, we've, we're going three for three. Uh, so, welcome to the show, Jackson, Colin, and Marcus. How y'all doing? We are hey, doing great. great. Uh, all right, so I hear a Colin. And, uh, yes, hello, Jackson. Jackson. Hello, Colin. Is there a Marcus? <laughs> Perhaps I think there's a Marcus. Only, itself. Okay. Only a ghost. <laughs> ghost Marcus. <laughs> well, um, I'm sure he'll be on at some point, and uh, we'll get started with you guys. I, I wanted to just start, actually, because I think this is a good introduction to the book for anyone who isn't already reading it, and everybody should really be reading it. Um, but the reason I picked up Joyride is I was having one of those days where I was feeling really cranky about uh, just like what was coming out that month um, from the, 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 big, the big publishers. And I said to myself, I want to go and try a new indie comic, but I want it to be something that is going to be fun, but like not for kids, but not like too dark, like just right. It was sort of a weird Goldilocks <laughs> moment. And somehow I think Joyride showed up on Tumblr or something. And I said, that's it. That could be the comic that I'm looking for. And I, I picked up the first issue uh, and review copy and I read it. And I immediately said to Brett, this is really good. This is going to be good. I predict big things for this series. So welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Well, uh, your support means the world. Uh, we, we rely very much on uh, – I, I, was, I was about to make a comment about relying on disillusioned Big Two readers, but as Big Two writers, we don't actually rely on that. <laughs> but we, what we do rely on, ideally, is that uh, you know people look to the indie market for something a little bit different and something that maybe hits outside of that um, 
uh, outside of that that demo sort of box that you assume for comics, where it's like, okay, there's a, this is either like a kids book or this is an action book or this is a, uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of push to like do uh, like books that very much feel like they're just catering to women or they're just catering to like hardcore '80s action fans or they're catering just to comedy fans. And Joyride really was our effort to do all of it. Um, it was our effort to have a a book that spoke to all of our influences, which were myriad, um, and uh, try to do something a little bit different and a little bit fun that, yeah, could be read by, by literally all ages, uh, not a book that and I, could only be read by, hey. Yeah, no, no, I just wanted to, yeah, absolutely. And, like, that's the oh, thing. I think Jack nailed it on the head. <laughs> do you want to give our, our readers the, uh, the what, what's, like, the, the, the four-line description that you guys like to use when you're talking about the series? Colin, hit it. Absolutely. Joyride is a punk rock teenage Star Trek about three teenagers who grow up on a fascist future Earth that totally sucks. We've surrounded the planet by a giant sphere. We've blocked out the stars and put a giant gun on the moon just to quell any chance of free thought or free love. And these three teenagers say, screw that. They steal a spaceship, they bail, and they head to the stars looking for whatever happens next. Essentially, every issue of Joyride is a, you know, uh, one-off, exciting science fiction adventure uh, that lets us cycle through genres and tones and concepts uh, while we tell a character journey about these kids kind of growing up, Um, going from being very rebellious young teenagers to uh, understanding a little bit more about their place in the world and and what it means to to grow up. Um, Ultimately, you know, while it starts as a story about – screwing off and throwing your middle fingers in the air and running away from responsibility. I think like all good stories, it does come back around and start to, to uh, examine, okay, well, why did you have to run away in the first place? Uh, and so that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's been kind of the fun of the book as we've moved into ongoing uh, because, you know, the book was a, was a four issue miniseries to start with the very much the hope that we'd be ongoing. Now we are issue five just dropped because our first issue has sort of an official ongoing series and every issue of this next run of four uh, is really its own kind of style exercise. Uh, issue five is, is um, what we kind of refer to as like the, it's kind of the Lumberjanes issue. It's like they just, they get to go have fun in the wilderness and enjoy themselves. Uh, and as oh, a result, wow. feelings yeah. start to come up and really start to, <laughs> um, uh, start to bubble to the surface in a way that uh, gets complicated when you're a teenager. Uh, and then <laughs> issue six is really going to be like the scary issue. We can compare it often to like Alien. Uh, and then, you know, issue seven is a party issue, and issue eight is a very dramatic, plot-filled science fiction uh, revelation story. So, you know, every issue but, kind of give, it gives us a new challenge. It's fun. It's like jazz. And, and I think it really speaks to something you said earlier. Um, you know, we're in this, like, awesome age of beautiful comic books. Like, there's so much amazing stuff that can get read. But a lot of it is, it's really heavy, and it's really... Um, tends towards darkness and a bit more nihilism in our science fiction. And so what, you know, Jackson and I, we're, we're big dorks. Um, we're hyper nerds. We've ingested just about every piece of science fiction content that's out there, um, like, you know, like many of us out there in the nerdosphere. And what we really wanted to do was try and synthesize that stuff and create something that was fun and, and light and wasn't afraid to get serious, but also kind of keeps in mind that, you know, you've got to have heart and you've got to have hope. And I think that's the kind of fundamental optimism that even in our dark issues, we're going to still try and bring. You know what struck me when I was rereading your stuff this time 
was how much of the best things about X-Men, I think, like from like the Claremont mm-hmm. era, are kind of updated and worked in here. Like, you have really great teenage soap opera, interpersonal drama. You've got some political critique stuff. And I haven't seen, like, the real horror issue yet, but we all know, you know, the Brood Saga, there's been horror aspects to X-Men. And you have alien cultures and how American young people react to them. I, I feel like this is something that I can see, like, classic X-Men fans really getting behind. Uh, that's awesome. Oh, thank you. Uh, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's actually – so it's funny. Whenever anybody references the Claremont era of X-Men – uh, you know, not necessarily just in, in reference to our work, but just in general with me. I always feel a little bit bad because I came to it very late. Um, I actually just read the Claremont X-Men run from, I mean, I, I went back to, uh, I actually went back to, to very, very early X-Men issues and have been working my way through backstory, and I just sort of made my way through the 90s just a couple months ago. Um, I am a, lately uh, to comic books. I, I uh, read a lot when I was a very young kid. Um, I was a sort of, voracious spider-man reader and i mm-hmm. read up until the clones I, I was reading up until the clone saga and <laughs> i found that my attachment to peter parker uh and my sort of lack of attachment to ben Riley really rocked my world in terms of my ability to like stick on that book and so i walked with that and superman and, a couple of, and this was again you have death of superman around the same kind of time you have nightfall around the same kind of time i i, uh-huh. I fell off of a lot all at once it was um it was Joss Whedon's X-Men that brought me back in. Uh, I had uh, been, I'd become sort of a massive Whedon fan. And so I just threw his, like, television. So I often, um, you know, I think you, you look at, like, Teenage Rebellion, a penchant for horror, a penchant for uh, darker character drama and sort of selfish character drama that drives the plot. Uh, I, like, I learned that from Joss Whedon. But I feel like Joss Whedon learned that from Chris Claremont. <laughs> so, yeah, like, that's funny. Yeah. There's this part of me where and, I'm always looking at it. I'm like, well, I, I, I feel like maybe I'm not exactly the Claremont guy that my writing might uh, tell you that I am, uh, but I feel like I learned that all secondhand through Joss Whedon. Well, and it's also, I mean, Claremont makes such great – I mean, he just loves to stab that knife and twist it. Um, that's one of the things that makes him <laughs> such a master. Like, he wants you to weep, which I think, you know, however we come at it, Don't that's you feel ultimately Jackknife's yeah, yeah, right. Terrible. But also, I mean, yeah, like you got uh, Dazzler, right? You got Kitty Pride. Mm-hmm. You've got all these amazing, like youthful, high energy voices, and you know that's I, unless you're Jackson when you're reading this as a you know a wizened old man. Um, <laughs> haha, so Jackson old. is not old, and he's not old. Oh. Um, but you know, as oh. a as a youth, you're reading this stuff, and it's driving you crazy. So it was just, uh, yeah, we're definitely trying to channel some of that kind of inner danger and inner sexiness of that Claremontian age. So how did you guys all find each other? Because I see it's like Jackson and, 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 and Colin, you guys are like writing partners. How, how did that come to so, be? Uh, Tinder. Uh, and comic books, crazily. Uh, yeah, weird, right? We met, yeah. Wait, hold, hold on a second, because I think, did I just hear Marcus? Yeah, I'm uh, creeping uh, behind you guys. Oh yeah! <laughs> awesome. I was just Welcome, listening bro. for like five minutes, and I just like, how do I work this thing? <laughs> we can hear you, yes, and I've got tons of questions for you as well. So we're glad to have you on board. Oh, thank um, you. So, so Colin and I met uh, through a mutual friend named David Server, uh, who actually was the guy who I wrote my first comics with uh, when I first started getting into comics. 
Um, I had been reading in high school. They'd been reading essentially all their lives, um, as far as I know. Uh, and uh, Dave specifically was like a huge X-Men fan. So he and I bonded over X-Men and Batman very early, um, figured out we could argue about it, and that was really fun. And then uh, he Dave, was fun, the only fun, guy. Fun fact check. Fun fact check. I hadn't picked up a comic in 14 years before Dave put Hellboy in my hand. Wow. Is that true? I didn't know that. Yeah. No, man. No, right. Dave. David's, there are, yeah, our friend was like, hey, you guys, there's this magical world called comic books. And we were like, aren't those for nerds? And he was like, guess what? Look in the mirror. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. And we would just pile into his PT Cruiser and we'd go buy comic books every week. Uh, and that was kind of how we really honed our teeth as storytellers and sharpened our knives uh, in terms of what we were all interested in. And then when Jack and I got ready to graduate, um, we were each writing, Jack was writing these little, like essentially like drawing room dramas, these amazing little character pieces. And I was just writing these massive explosion filled, you know, you know, explosion romances, basically. Um, yeah, they were, they, Jack were, was they, like, were uh, they were Michael Bay movies. Yeah, I was writing good, Michael Bay good, movies. Good, really good Michael Bay movies. Oh, you're nice. Um, and Jack was like, those, your explosions are rad. And I was like, your characters are rad. And he was like, oh, we should like team up. So we were, we were actually, we, that, though, but. well, I mean, I mean, essentially that's it. Like we were, we were graduating. We'd become really good friends and uh, just by going to the comic book shop every week together. And uh, David and I had been working on a comic together. So I'd really enjoyed the process of writing with a partner. Uh, I found that like the conversation really helped me um, that, that writing could be a really solitary deal uh, when I was alone and that was great and I could get work done. Um, but it didn't, I wasn't a very happy guy. I was one of those like drink all night and smoke all the cigarettes writers. Uh, and I didn't really like that. Uh, it was, it, it produced a lot of good work, but it didn't produce a lot of mental health. And hmm. uh, I, and I found that I really enjoyed writing with a friend. I mean, and David was a, my roommate uh, by that point. And we'd done this book called Freak Show that had done pretty well and, you know, for a little indie comic that, you know, there were only like 2,500 of them in the world. Uh, and uh, we were pretty happy about it. So I, I was hanging out with uh, Colin and we just graduated. We we're going on a road trip to Lollapalooza to see, uh, see Radiohead because I used to follow Radiohead around and he'd never seen them. So I hijacked his post-graduation time. I was like, you're seeing some Radiohead. And we um, uh, were on the way out uh, and we were uh, talking uh, about A brilliant hijacking. I just, yeah. And, and, and our, on our way out, we, uh, we were talking about how, uh, wouldn't it be really cool if, uh, you know, I mean, they, they made that horrible X-Men Origins Wolverine movie. Wouldn't it be rad if they made a Wolverine movie that, like, really uh, embraced that whole, um, speaking of Chris Claremont, uh, that sort of Japanese saga and really dealt with that samurai element of Wolverine, threw him up against the hand, you know, or something like that. And we ended up kicking around uh, ideas for, like, a Samurai Wolverine movie for a while until we were like, you know, we should just write our own Samurai movie. That would be really fun. And then we wrote uh, a Samurai movie by the time that we'd come back from uh, this trip, and that got us repped at a, a large agency. We were at WME for years uh, as screenwriters. And so that basically, like, we, I don't think we had planned for it to be like, this is our long-term collaboration. We will definitely be doing everything together and make a brand together and whatever. I don't think that was the plan. We just had a really cool idea that we wanted to write together, and the script flowed like butter. So by the time it was done, we were both like, well, well, dang, everybody likes this, and we're happy with it, so we might as well do more. Uh, and it, it, wasn't was, until... it was a beautiful accident. Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't until um, uh, Rebecca Taylor, uh, who was an editor over at Archaea, who uh, pulled us into comics, who liked our work, and who had liked Freak Show, 
uh, she called us up and said, hey, do you want to do a book with Alyssa Milano uh, about hackers? Just sort of out of the blue, literally like you get an email, you know, hey, do you want to pay your electric bill? And it was like, hey, do you want to write a comic book for Alyssa Milano? No. Not much of a sound. And yeah, and we started. It sounded insane, but we were like, let's take a chance. And, you know, we chatted with Alyssa. She's amazing, by the way. Um, Yeah. But essentially, the long and the short of it. The long and the short of it is, you know, there was an artist who fell through, and Rebecca Tay, you know, came out and was like, guys, I have this guy. I'm not sure if you'll like him, but I really think he's amazing, and I really hope you know, you'll be into him. His name is Marcus Toe. And we're like, oh, shit. Like, we know that guy. We knew Marcus Toe. We'd read his Red Robin work. We were big fans. Uh, and we mm. were looking forward to Cyborg 009, which was the book that he was doing next with our buddy F.J. DeSanto. So we knew all about this guy. <laughs> and we were like, oh, man, we're really, like, so she, she said Marcus, and we, we jumped up and down, and we were like, absolutely, 100%. Would he even do a book about hackers? Like, this guy does, like, beautiful superhero action stuff. Like, we're going to give him a bunch of server rooms. And to our great delight, he said yes and made that book so much more than it ever would have been without him. Uh, and by the end of the he had a... Marcus loves drawing server rooms. <laughs> just loves it. <laughs> Favorite well, it's better never, than drawing them in front guessed. of a computer. It's better <laughs> yeah. than drawing them in a computer screen, uh, in front of computer screens, though. But it was a. I mean, I'd say it was a challenging book. To be honest with you, I didn't. When I when I heard about it, I didn't even know what I was going to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, none of us did. I think that yeah, was the, that's true. that was the challenge of activists. It was like, how do but you the, take a book about people who sit in front of computer screens and make it into something that is visual enough for a comic book? Uh, that, that feels like it's enough of a narrative like that. And, uh, but I'd say like, our, right again, away, like after probably like maybe 10, 15 pages, I think I think I came to realization that I, I'm like, man, I, I'm, I, I feel really comfortable with these guys for some reason. And it just worked out that like we work well together. <laughs> yeah, very <laughs> happy, happy mistake, I guess. I <laughs> hey, just, just, just like Colin and I. It, it's all been yeah. just like some I mean, thing that led to Joyride. Yeah, it's an odd, it's an odd, odd collection, but I think we're um, we just all kind of hit off, hit it off in this kind of magical way. That's really exciting. Yeah, I um, I think I, I think I, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm on the press list for your publisher, obviously, and Boom always is good about that. But I feel like I first saw something about Joyride on Tumblr, which means I probably first caught it from Marcus because Marcus is like one of Tumblr's favorite. Beast. He is. He's oh, one of Tumblr's well. favorite comics artists. Um, it's really true. I think uh, he does an amazing job of interacting with fans and like giving fans what they want and uh, and and making it look like he cares. And I'm sure he does. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I mean, I, you guys have much of a, a social media engagement with fans of the comic and with fans of the series. And Marcus, like, what has it been like for you, sort of being a, an artist with like a Tumblr following and a Tumblr interaction with the fans. Well, I don't know. It's it's always tricky because I mean, like, you, you can't have too many expectations because, like, to expect social media to necessarily kind of uh, follow through with, you know, um, support on creator-owned books is can can always be a finicky one. Um, I I try not to think about that really. I mean, the only when I when I interact with fans online. Uh, all all it really is is just me trying to 
appreciate the, the, the time that they spend to, to look at my stuff. And, and if they, they, they choose to like Joyride, and, and I hope they do, obviously, but, you know, it, that's great. But a lot, of, a lot of what I try to do on, you know, social media is just to – it's funny because it sounds very simple. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, a lot of people don't do it. It's that, you know, I, you just got to be a good person, <laughs> you know, like – I feel like all you have to do is treat people with respect and 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 everything, even when they're, you know, even when they're disagreeing with the things, you know, that you you want to write about or you want to draw about. You have to you have to, you know, talk to them like like people, and and that's that's the course that I uh, that's the the choice that I make every time I choose to type something or post something online and uh i haven't been doing as good of a job with uh joyride uh posts as jackson and colin are but uh i'm chained to my to my <laughs> to my uh desk drawing hours i'm still in the studio now actually it's trying to we've been, yeah, we've, been getting, we, we've been getting awesome pages all day and uh i am perfectly happy to handle the social posts as long as we're getting amazing <laughs> pages uh and but but it's, it's funny that you mentioned um it, that you saw it on Tumblr first because we have a Joyride Tumblr, right? If you go to Joyride Comics on Tumblr, it's there. But, I mean, every single time we get engagement, it's because Marcus reposts something. Like, Marcus will reblog something, and then all of a sudden it'll blow up and we'll get a bunch of followers. But then, like, we'll post the next thing, it'll lie fallow until Marcus reblogs it, and then all of a sudden <laughs> we'll get all these people. So I, I know that Marcus has reblogged it because my phone starts blowing up. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, he's he's our he's our greatest weapon on that uh, on that platform. Uh, well, but you know, we, we try to awesome. be as interactive okay. as possible. Oh no, 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 no. sorry. Go ahead. Let's talk more about how. Awesome Speaking of Marcus being awesome, I actually wanted to congratulate you, Marcus. I saw the cover that you just put up for Nightwing issue ten. Like 10? Issue ten. Yeah. 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 I think it's the best cover I've seen uh, since Rebirth. From Rebirth. Well, thanks, comic. but I uh, I I. I, I I'm very, and Jackson Cole know this. I, I I'll tell you this: like if there's one thing I'm the most self-conscious about is my covers. So I appreciate you you saying such nice things about it. I mean, uh, I kind of I I really kind of well with Nightwing it's an interesting kind of situation because like I've wanted to draw Nightwing so much for so long, and uh, it's it's been it's been great, but at the same time there's a lot of pressure, right? Because mm-hmm. you know. Getting getting the challenge of one of your favorite characters is is great, but man, the, the pressure of it is is pretty high for me. I feel like while Joyride is is just pure fun. I was telling the guys uh, just earlier today because we're the issue seven we're working on right now, uh, or just finishing up. It's probably the most ridiculous thing I've ever drawn, but I just oh, enjoy it so, so much absurd. because it's, it's so it's bananas. <laughs> oh wow. Well, and it follows our scariest issue. That's what I love about it. That's the thing that I think is so like lovely about Joyride, and it's, it's we're we're trying to continue to embrace it as we get more opportunities to tell stories here. But like every issue gets to be its own beast. You know, we approach every issue, and there's kind of a, there, at first there's this. I, I do liken it a little bit to like to like writing a new song. Uh, like you 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 step up and you're like, man, like. I don't know. Like, I really want to do. I want this thing to be my like, gothy, scary, dark issue, or I want this to be the crazy, scary party, or crazy, uh, you know, happy party issue, or 
man, we have a whole arc's worth of, you know, revelations and plot and mythology to fit inside 22 pages. And, and you go, man, how, how are we ever going to do that? that this, why did we ever do, sign up for this? This is insane. And then we start it, and Colin and I find ourselves just, like, cackling back and forth at each other as we realize, like, oh, it can be done. You just have to think outside of your box. You can't write this the way that you would write a superhero story. You don't write this the way that you would write Hacktivist, um, and certainly not the way you'd write a screenplay. Uh, you know, they really all we do have to is, embrace the weirdness. And we really got to work on just getting everything on the page, because if we can get on, on the page, we know that Marcus can do it. Like, at this yeah. point, there is no challenge that we do not believe Marcus can utterly crush. Sorry, dude, you have put yourself on this amazing pedestal with <laughs> your litany of amazing, gorgeous work. Um, well, as, as, well, if I'm we can get it on the page... I'm just crying. I, I'm just going to say, in episode five, or issue five of Joyride, uh, Uma makes mention of having an interest in a certain kind of hunky Birdman, and a hunky Birdman shows up in issue seven, and it's the best thing Marcus has ever drawn in his entire life. <laughs> and and I am a really big fan. I'm a really big fan of Marcus Toe Beefcake, and he yep. just delivered on a thousand levels. If you are looking so. for a Birdman that you are going to drool over for the rest of your life, oh, just get ready for a hunky Birdman <laughs> in issue seven of Joyride. Let me tell you. I, I don't know how to feel about that, but I'm, I'm happy that it exists. <laughs> I, I, just, just think of what's his face. Who's the guy from? You're like leaning into it. You're like leaning into the weird and like not afraid mm-hmm. of it and like, you're not afraid to like deliver like for cheesecake stuff that a lot of people seem to be scared to touch. And I give you serious props for that. Well, thank you. Well, that's, I, it's thank funny you. when I first yeah. started my career actually, and I was in a, I was in the studio with a bunch of artists and they all asked me like questions about what, it, like, you know, would you ever do this? Would you ever do that? And I, my, most of my answer is like, you know, there's, there's, you can't be scared of the, the subject. If the, if the story works for with the subject, and it's fine. The the problem I've always had with, say, having cheesecake stuff or, or, you know, like, you know, stuff that you can maybe, like, shake your head at, it's usually because the story doesn't fit what, you know, what that stuff is about. You know, the story has to mm-hmm. go with it. And, and I think Jackson and Colin do a really good job, too, because a lot of times we talk about kind of feels and themes and where we want to go with it, and they really craft a good story that that coincides with all the weird stuff that we want to do, but, or even like all the scary stuff we want to do, or all the romantic stuff we want to do. You you have to you have to fit the make the story like the the, the subject go with the story. You can't, you know. It, and I think that we do a good job on it, all of us. I also think it's worth noting that this is a book that, you know, it is creator-owned and it's created by the three of us. You know, this isn't a book like when we were doing Hacktivist, you know, Colin and I would go in a little hole. Like we would we would conference with Alyssa and then we would go into our hole and we would write, uh, you know, 100 pages of comic book. Or in the case of, of Joyride, uh, two, many more than that, you know, six issues. And then we would bring that back and that would get dropped on on Marcus's desk and it would be fully paneled and it would be very sort of specific in its intentions and specific in, 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 in what it was looking for. And then our communication with Marcus basically boiled down to like, how do we achieve this on joyride? It's very different. 
awesome joyride you know because we all came up with it together because we all pitched it together because this thing was birthed by the three of us and it really i think brought us a lot closer as creators it was a lot it's become a lot more of a process of us saying you know okay we have this idea here's kind of what we're thinking and then marcus can say oh that reminds me of this thing i'd love to do it this way and you're like oh i love that let's move this plot this way like we we, we just did this for the next four issues yeah. and figuring out how we're going to bring stuff that he wants to draw and that he is excited to draw and that is coming out of him into the book. Um, we actually, I mean, we're pretty, we, we've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to belabor it, but I mean, especially in the, in the genera- the genesis of the book, it basically like Uma and Daywood, especially, um, and Jorn, uh, came from us sitting there talking to Marcus the first time we ever talked about Joyride because it, it, a lot of Joyride comes from this original concept that Marcus did called Maximum Velocity he did back in mm. high school uh, and we you know the idea of like kids stealing a spaceship and we had been working on a kid steal a spaceship book as well so we were like oh well th- this will obviously like let's just drop ours and let's figure out what yours is and let's, let's build the best version and we just asked Marcus about his history about his family about his past he told us stories um, he told us stories about his mom he told us stories about his brother uh, he told us about, his, you know, about himself and where he feels that he fits into that and we took that and fictionalized aspects of it so that the book would be personal to him uh, as well as to us. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of me and Colin in Catron. There's a lot of me and Colin in Uma. There's a lot of me and Colin in uh, Daywood. But I think there's also an equal amount of of uh, Marcus, even though he's not sitting there pouring over the scripts. Uh, and I think it's, sometimes it's it's hard for people to understand the degree to which creation happens outside of a scripting. You know, stuff where like writers will get credited for ideas. And I think it's really important to always kind of look at Joyride as a three-part collaboration. It really is the three of us all building this thing together. Heck, issue five, like the love planet, was us in Seattle after the convention, and we were just having dinner and drinks, and we were thinking of the, the stupidest ideas of how to make this this like love planet work. And it was the best yep. time. We were just drinking, eating, and talking about <laughs> the, the people next to us. Probably thought we were crazy because we were talking about, like, <laughs> you know, continents or giant island aliens having sex and stuff. And we're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they thought we were. I'm sure like, they were. They thought we were insane. Yeah, I mean, but that's how we I do it, and it's really enjoyable yeah. of a process for sure. Hmm. That's wonderful. I really enjoyed the issue five a lot. Well, one, I wanted to shout out the cover for issue five, which I just tweeted up oh, for our followers. The cover well, of issue so five is, is such great space opera cover of, of Uma and Robot Guy. Oh my god! But two, I know. Uh, uh, and I remember when, five, when 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 the when, colors on that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, oh, Irma Vila. Irma's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Irma is our secret weapon. Um, she. Marcus, correct Marcus. me if I'm wrong, but you guys sit right next to each other, right? Or you sit near each other? Near each other. Yeah. He doesn't want to be that close to me. Her <laughs> <laughs> yeah. loss. I'll be like, lost. you're coloring that wrong. No. <laughs> no, but she's great. Actually, I poached her from, because, you know, we're in a big studio full of lots of different artists. And at, at one point, before she joined the studio, she was friends with my friend uh, Ian Herring, who colored hacktivist, he colored Cyborg 009, he colors Miss Marvel and a ton of other Marvel books. And uh, and I got her because she's a, she's a, a very talented um, illustrator and painter in her own right. Like she does 
um, illustrations for Globe and Mail and magazines in Toronto and different things like that. And, and you know, just the fact that she can paint was someone I really needed to be on Joyride because we knew that there was a lot of space scenes. There's a lot of stuff that I'm not drawing, right? I, I can't draw space, really. Like, I mean, you could, but it wouldn't look like it should. So I needed somebody that, you know, could hold her own without without me saying anything. So it's been it's been amazing working with her ever since. Great. Treasure, treasure, MVP. Irma is our MVP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, a- all the <laughs> The the fun thing the fun thing though about uh, the issue five cover just to circle back for a second is uh, I'm pretty sure when Marcus had to draw that cover, we had no idea what the issue actually was. So we were like, we think it might be about romance. Maybe? Yeah, I mean we knew we knew what we'd broken at that dinner, right? So we knew that they were going to go to this planet and the planet was going to have these continents and the continents were going to be alive and it was going to be mating season, so it was going to affect them all in certain ways. Uh, Spoilers, guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sorry. And we kind of threw stuff around. We're like, oh yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll do that. Uh, And uh, yeah. So then we did that cover. We get that cover, and it's like there's no individual action within that cover happens in the book. David doesn't (laughs) roll a gun with his dope glasses. Uma and Bot do not make out. Uh, Like at no point does Colstack chew gum. Yeah. So. I feel like it's no, totally. available for him. I think that's the thing. It, it yeah. feels like it's just, they, they all feel 100% like the characters. And they, these are all moments from throughout the series that you will see. Like, these are all things that can happen or could happen or feel like they would happen. And that is kind of the thing I love about that cover. Is it's like, it's just sort of joyride in a nutshell. It's not about, like, oh, this is the individual actions. All of the best 1980s and 70s exploitation movies have posters that do not reflect the contents of what's inside. So You're I completely think, correct, yeah. I, I did not take it literally. I was like, I didn't look at this and say, where is the bubble gum? But I felt like <laughs> of it. And Kolchak is a, such a fun character. Wow. Um, oh, my god. It gosh. can be challenging to have an alien that really works. Actually, that reminds me, not only do your aliens work really well in terms of how they relate to humans and their confusion with humans. But I love how humans use the word space instead of, like, what the fuck? Like, that's... Uh, like, talk to me about your language. We, we are so... I, I can only picture Jackson's face right now. We're so thrilled that you like that. You know, <laughs> we, we were all butting up against... Even when we were writing that first issue, even on the first page, we were like, they need to drop the F-bomb. Like, we need these people to be able to swear. If they can't, it just neuters the entire, you know, it neuters the universe. They're teenagers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we can't, we can't have F dot dot dot. We can't use a frick or a frack. Um, we can't use uh-huh. a frell. Um, and that led to an interesting discussion of like, okay, well, what does that word mean? Like, well, it, it isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing that has been perverted by, you know, media and by, uh, you know, your authority systems to turn that good thing into something that is a negative. Um, So we were like, well, shit, what is it in our universe that is the same representation? And for them, it's space. It's this amazing thing that the government would want the very concept of to elicit a gut reaction of, ew, gross, not us, not for me, not my kids. 
Um, and <laughs> once we realized that, we kind of run that past the editors uh, and ourselves internally, and everyone was like, that's an insane idea. Run with it. See how it goes. Um, so hearing yeah, you're engaging it, like that is awesome. It, it, was, it was a really – it was a fun challenge, I think, to um, – this really goes back to the degree to world of world building that we were able to do about Earth before we left because we knew that um, – this is a big debate that we are actually having when we started Joyride, which was, are we going to start the book on Earth, or are we going to start the book with them already having left and just be, just be, just be running? You know, just like start it off, and it's like it's three kids who stole a spaceship, enjoy, right? So that we can just jump you right into the plot. And we broke a couple of versions of the plot that were all about, okay, the story starts and they're already running. And it always felt like there was something really missing about that, that reinforced why they were running what it was that they were leaving, what this planet um, meant to them, uh, and, and, and what it meant to run from a place that was like, that was kind of a utopia insofar as everybody's got a job and there's enough food for everybody and like, you know, all of that, even if, you know, people are getting blown out of the sky by a moon gun. So there's this mm-hmm. real sense of like, uh, I mean, we came up with this book well before this, you know, this election was a was a... Uh, oh, yeah, twinkle right. in the eye of the American electorate, but when you look at the story of a of a planet that has, uh, uh, you know, other othered the rest of the galaxy by putting a giant wall around itself, um, you do start to wonder, like, oh man, did we were we really influenced by the Donald Trump campaign? And it's like, no, like not at all. It's just a human instinct. It's a human instinct to other uh, and to make that which is outside of you scary. Also, uh, you can feel it coming along, coming on. Actually, I mean, certainly, it's been like that for. I mean, you years. can always feel it. Yeah, yeah, there are currents of racism and othering in, in in society constantly, and so what we wanted to do was really tell the story of of kids who said, who looked at that and said, you know, as, as Colin said, like, you know, not for me. Like, I'm I want something different. And so, when looking at being able to, you know, only about half the issue could really deal with that world building. So then you're looking at twelve pages. You're like, what can I do in 12 pages that's going to tell you everything you need to know about this world uh, and that gives you stuff these kids can carry with them? And uh, space as a, as a cuss word was uh, – it initially just felt like a, a nice workaround so that we could say swear words. Um, and then mm-hmm. the deeper we got into it, the more it became, I think, a, a relatively – you know, not to, to our own horn, but I, it is one of the more profound aspects of world building in the book and one that comes back over and over and over again. Uh, about the degree to which they have been taught to be afraid and the degree to which Uma especially refuses to be. That's really awesome. That's like, this is all very graphic policy radio in terms of the topics that we're hitting on with this right now. So that makes me very <laughs> okay. pleased. Like, yes, we're the podcast you come on to talk about this. Um, but many <laughs> other things as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, when I when I read the first issue and I didn't really have too much knowledge about what to expect, I was listening to music because I was on my subway ride home and I was listening to Hawkwind, which is like a 1970s prog rock space music band that I listen to mm-hmm. kind of all the time. And I like did not I did not put on Hawkwind because I was reading a space comic. I had Hawkwind on because I listened to Hawkwind, and it was reading it and listening to the music. I was like, oh, this is a really good soundtrack for this comic. And I think about that a lot when I'm reading, like, what's a good soundtrack for reading what, you know, I've been soundtracking my, like, new Archie stuff with, like, pet sounds. It seems to work pretty well. Uh, Ooh, nice. That's a cool idea. It feels very youthful. It's not a very 70s sci-fi thing, but it totally worked with my 70s 
trippy sci-fi music. And I wasn't sure yeah. if you guys had sort of soundtracks for it yourselves. Oh my gosh. Well, well actually, let me tell you. <laughs> let me yeah. tell you. I don't. I. I almost feel like you're setting me up. If you don't know this, you should check this out. I have. Uh, I have been putting together. I mean, we 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 do this together. But I, I take sort of charge of this because I'm the the resident like super uber music nerd here. Um, I put together a playlist for every issue of Joyride. Every what? issue has a curated specific playlist on Spotify that I, uh, I share out the day that the book is released. I put liner notes on Tumblr so that you can see like what, why those songs were picked and uh, how they were used during either process or why I think they're good on the list. Um, generally, they, they, they're about 10 to 11 songs. A lot of it's modern. I try to stick to stuff that's like in the last couple of years, and that's just to uh, limit myself because otherwise it would take me ages just to decide on 10 tracks. Yeah. Uh, but – but Colin and I actually have really specific playlists for everything we write. Music is very important to our process. And I think that part mm-hmm. of that is because there's two of us, and it's about getting us on the same tonal page. Yeah. So if we can figure out a tone that matches for both of us, we will be much more likely to come up with pages that match each other. Uh, we have a fairly uniform voice. We've been doing this together for many years now, so and pretty exclusively with each other for many years now. So I have a pretty good sense of, like, what's going to pass in terms of like a tone that will fit for Colin and what he'll do. You don't, you don't know, me. you don't know me. You don't know <laughs> I me. Know you. I mm-hmm. know you. Uh, but that's, but the, the uh, fun thing here we... is to go ahead. Yeah, that that's how we work. No. And then the fun thing is uh, for your readers who might be interested in some joyride, if they happen to pick up the first volume trade, the oh, very yeah. last page in the trade is actually this super rad design um, that uh, one of our designers over at Boom whipped up just as a fun thing. But it's actually Scott Newman. Uh, Scott Newman, yeah. It's uh, some. It's the cover, the front and back cover to your very own mix CD. So you can clock the QR code, which will lead you to the Spotify playlist for Volume One. You can rip it off Spotify, uh, however you so desire, or, you know, however you so want to put this together, burn yourself a beautiful little mix CD, cut up the last page of the joyride trade. We don't mind. It's what it's meant for. And go ahead and stuff it into your uh, jewel case. If you want to get all retro and have an actual CD and you can have yourself your very own joyride volume one mixtape. Or, or give it to a, a crush like we all did when we were in school. Heck yeah. That feels very apt. Yeah. It's <laughs> definitely you've got an, you've got an intermedia, a transmedia product, as it were, um, which I did not even know. I'm really excited to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jordan, totally Jordan it's, it's all about getting the booties to shake. Like, that's really the key. Yeah. Um, Joyride has so much energy to it. And even from the very start, we were like, you know what? We want sci fi that's not going to make you just slump into your chair. We want sci-fi that's going to get you up and moving and dancing. Like, frankly, when Jack and I are riding, a lot of times, you know, sometimes we work standing and we do some dance. You know, like (laughs) every page, every story of Joyride should get you up and moving. And for that, you know, music is the key. Yeah, I mean, you guys have a dance party, spaceship dance party, so. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Spaceship dance party in issue three becomes planetary dance party in issue seven. So get psyched. Ooh, that sounds very promising. <laughs> Brett, you had a question. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
Um, so, Marcus, this is actually one for you. Uh, I think it was probably about a year ago, there was the AT&T U-verse documentary that was done. Um, usually, usually you don't see that with comic creators, like as a creator, you know, how do you, what was the experience of going through that? And like, what was your reaction to seeing that? I mean, you don't see that type of focus or documentary about comic creators. No, I mean, I mean, we're in an interesting time in pop culture, comic books and stuff like that, you know, that, that, uh, nowadays, out of all the things that is on TV about comic books and, and, and stuff like that, very few of them, if any, are about the creators, really, other than Stan Lee, right? But uh, we, um, <laughs> again, this goes back to uh, F.J. DeSanto, who we, uh, we, I worked with on Cyborg 009, and we all know. And he co-produced with the other writer from Cyborg 009, Bradley Cramp, as well as Stephen Christie, who was our editor at the time of Cyborg 009. So that group contacted myself and Ramon Perez, who's another guy at the studio, who they've worked together on Tale of Sand. And they, they pitched us an idea of, of, you know, coming to the studio and just seeing, you know, like, because, you know, we're, I like to think we're pretty cool guys here at the studio and, and, and you know, we, we, we do things, we do fun things, but we, we, we're very group oriented, you know, we are friends, we see each other more than we see, you know, our significant others and stuff like that, right? So, so they wanted to pitch an idea about just kind of what it's like to be in a group of creators as well as, um, as well as what we do, you know, what we do and explain to people that might not know how it's done. So, you know, we threw around a few ideas and the final cut is different than, you know, what we initially thought it was going to be, but that's, you know, that's just how it always is. But, um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I think most of the guys at the studio that, that we did this, like Francis is, Francis Manipal, who was also on the on the on the documentary, he was he he did a Canadian TV show called Beast Legends for uh, I think it was like eight eight nine episodes. So he's like you know very used to being on TV. Uh, Ramon Perez has done a lot of interviews with you know Canadian television and other things like that. And and I, I think it's interesting because us at the studio we're very conscious about our public personas and you know to one of the best ways to get our our books, our creations out into the public is to for us to be the forefront of it. So it, we jumped at the opportunity to do something to kind of like boost our our studio name, uh, what we do, and our, our thought process, and just the fact that we have fun, right? We have fun drawing comic books together. I mean, I feel like I am the luckiest guy in the world because I, I mean, I get to spend every day drawing comic books with my friends in our little clubhouse. I mean, that's like something I never even thought of doing when I was a kid, but I always hoped that I would do. So, you know, um, so all of us, you know, we, we jumped at the opportunity to, to have something like that. In fact, we we're talking about maybe doing some more stuff with CBC if we're, if we're lucky, but, um, yeah. Um, I think, I think us creators nowadays, uh, we we have to be conscious that we have a public persona, uh, whether it be on social media or you know TV or or whatever the case might be, and and it really would, does help you know create a brand for us, and 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 also it was a great jumping off point for Jackson Call and I to kind of be basically have the first glimpse of what Joyride would be, 
you know, in uh, on a, on a different media. Yeah, it was fascinating actually because they told us they were like, guys, we're going to do this documentary, and we would like you to pitch Joyride on air. And it was actually Jack and I's first time pitching a creator-owned book, so we didn't particularly know what that meant. Um, so we went all out. I mean, Jack and I come from Hollywood, where Razzmatazz is the name of the game. So we had <laughs> we had pitch boards, and we had posters, and we had all of this material, and we all sit down to dive into it. And number can, and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, right? And, like, Jack and I, as you can tell, you know, we're chatty dudes. Um, and... We start in on this pitch, and we must have pitched this book for at least an hour. <laughs> and if you watch the documentary, I think we're in it for about 35 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the best part the best part about that, actually, was that scene where we're, like, outside the thing, and then we're just trying to pep talk each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, it, man, it that was, like, like, it was, that like was going, hilarious. It was, like... It was like walking into American Idol. It was the silliest thing. It was the mo- it was like it was like the opposite of how you are supposed to pitch a comic book. Uh, yeah. But we uh, but we went in guns blazing, and uh, you know the the result is that they I think Boom took a chance on a book that you know who knows if they would have taken a chance on if cameras weren't on them. I like to think they would have, but you know that's the way that we pitched it, and that's the way it got bought. So I I, I sort of go back to that moment as being. Um, Certainly a weird one, <laughs> but one that uh, you know, but one that did lead to the book having a really strong foundation um, at Boom, and then that foundation has just been cemented by having uh, two outstanding editors on this project: Daphne Plevin, who's our uh, sort of head editor, who's, who's uh, just uh, like friend and a uh, like fighter and a she's the general uh, exactly the kind sure. of person that you want in your court. And uh, Cam Chittock, uh, who is like, he's that guy that gives, he, he's, he's that, that fun, artistic X Factor. He's the guy who has the, um, that sort of cool, weird idea that you maybe don't see coming. He's, the, um, he's really invested in the uh, sort of moment-to-moment like, artistry of the book. And uh, I, I, having two of them back-to-back, I think really um, working as a team, I don't know, it fits inside of the, the ongoing dynamic that is Joyride, which is everybody coming together to do something together. But it's and not about anything. with so many people, because we, we, it's a big group. Well, we are a big group of Team Joyride, right? You'd think that, you know, there might be too many cooks in the kitchen, but I think because we work so well together, like we understand all the, like all the differences of opinions in, in what we need to do, and, and then we just, once the decision's settled, we all just have every goal to make whatever we chose the best that it can be. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty ego-free environment, or at least yeah. it tries to be. Um, well, yeah. Maybe from your it. side it is. <laughs> <laughs> right, you, guys, you, guys don't know, you don't know what I have to go through every time I sit down with Colin. Um, no, it's hilarious. It, 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 couldn't, it couldn't be further from the truth. I am probably more that guy. Uh, but, it, you know, it was, it, it's been a really great um, – that that that's underselling it. It's been the most rewarding artistic endeavor I've ever been a part of. I, I genuinely I'm so proud of every issue of Joyride that we put out. I think it is uh, a pure expression of exactly the book that we set out to write. If I, I could put the pitch document in front of you right now and you would see everything that we talk about on the page 
in those first five issues and uh, as the book continues that you'll continue to see more of that uh, and and as the book continues i think the book has stretched beyond its initial capacity and, and we've really found new cool ways to bring it out there's a lot of exposition we're going to be getting into soon uh that helps the world building kind of expand and gives you a better larger sense of the universe at which in which joyride takes place and that's all stuff that we never planned on doing you know that's stuff that we planned that we we, we sort of said oh you know that this book isn't really concerned with that but the farther we got in uh, much like lumberjanes at the beginning i think we started to realize oh there actually is room for uh for for depth in this world not just breadth and uh we've been i i i've been very uh, gratified to be able to get into that and see how much um, can come through. Well, you know, how, how, it feels like the way, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, kind of going off of that with the, the breadth and depth, like how has the series kind of changed from it going from a mini to a uh, ongoing? I was about to ask that. It's almost like <laughs> we're great minds, great minds. It, it, yeah. I, it's funny. Uh, you know, we always wanted it to be ongoing. Uh, we pitched it as an ongoing. So that was always the premise. Uh, it was like yeah. this book, you know, in all honesty, the, 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 the initial idea of the book was like, let's just go as long as we can. Let's just, you know, point the ship in one direction and travel as far as we can. And as long as the economics make sense, we'll just keep doing joyride. And, uh, you know, I think the thing that we've discovered as we've gone, as we've pointed the ship in that direction and sort of shot off is that the more issues we get, um, the more we have, uh, I guess the more connection we have to these characters the more connections they have with each other, uh, the more that the, like the character drama and character relationships are the the lifeblood of the book, not whatever weird thing they're going to meet this week. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we try to track who, what it is that motivates these people, what it is that motivates Uma, what makes her want to run, what makes, um, you know, an issue in, in arc one. Arc one is in in a lot of ways about uh, them all kind of thinking through that idea of having left earth and earth chasing them. Uh, and then, you know, arc two so far, uh, I think is starting to really grapple with that idea of, uh, you know, okay, well now that we're out here together, we maybe have to come clean about feelings that we otherwise weren't really comfortable doing. Like now we're out here, now we can start taking risks. Um, and that that doesn't always work out the way that you think, uh, you know, the, 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 the more depth we can bring to the characters in the second arc, uh, I think the better. And that's, I think, where the ongoing has led us. Uh, it's led us to a place where these characters, in that kind of Claremontian sense, can actually have sagas and uh, can, can build out relationships that are longer and more thought out. Uh, because, you know, try telling, a, try telling like an X-Men Claremont saga, a, 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 the, the Psylocke Scott Summers on and off again romance try doing that in four issues you can't like it would be rushed and crazy and wouldn't make any sense but if you have 12 to play with right it's amazing what you start to be able to to um to arc but there's also a certain amount of um you know we didn't that was never necessarily our plan um but once we saw how strongly um the the audience and the readers were reacting to these characters um, some of the stuff that we thought would really hit, you know, we thought people would be really jazzed about new, exciting weirdness every issue. And while people love that, what we're finding is more, you know, they want to know what about Uma and Daywood? You know, like how's mm-hmm. what's Katrin's feeling about all this? You know, who, who, where's where's Colstack? Like, what's Colstack's deal? You know, there's these granular questions that we found our audience really engaging with, 
that was a little unexpected. Um, we didn't think people would we – th- we definitely always thought people would be on board for the ride, but we didn't think people would fall in love with the characters as much as we did. So I did. Seeing that way, well, okay. Well, you are wiser than all of us, Marcus. It is true. As I said, it's our first creator-owned book. Um, oh, but uh, this really but just, I see. But this, see, I think there's a reason why Marcus was like, "Oh, I knew people would be all love the characters," and that is because Marcus is very active on Tumblr, so he's watching us. He knows. Well, also, he I, knows. I realize it's it's an interesting situation because, like, and I I found this through Tumblr, yes, but like just fandom in general, you know, like. A lot of the commissioners, uh, the commissions that I do, is just the, the characters doing normal things like eating a burger or something. You know what I mean? Like they can, cause in, in in their mind, in their mind, these characters are just doing everyday things. And the joy of actually coming up with these scenarios in which, you know, your favorite characters are doing regular things is because all like the the long stories of who they are, the the characters built so well that you can place them in any situation and you can guess what, how they would act no matter what it is. And I think when we were doing Joyride, we wanted to make sure that we knew these characters in and out. So whenever we put them in a weird situation like, you know, going in an alien space station, we knew exactly what kind of reaction they would have to all whatever craziness comes their way, mm-hmm. right? That's perfect. Like, who's, who's feeling everything, who's getting confused, and, and a fashion boutique. Like, and, yeah. and people love that stuff, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and, I mean, one of my, some of my favorite, if we're going back to X-Men, some of my favorite, you know, stories, even though a lot of people kind of didn't like them, were those Thanksgiving stories where they're just playing football or they went to the mall or, or whatever the case might be, you know? It's just like these superheroes dealing with... And that's why X-Men was so good, because and Spider-Man as well, because you're talking about, you know heroes or people with extraordinary powers and they have to try to do normal things and all, all the conflicts that come with you know your everyday life during that time period uh but on top of that the the fear of people finding out that you're different mm-hmm. very well said yeah i can't wait for people to people to come up to you marcus at cons and be like i would like to commission Uma and Katrin mm, braiding each other's hair. Wait. <laughs> I will pay I, for this commission. Yeah, that'd be cool. yeah totally. August first commission. So, I mean, I think yeah. it, it, it's funny. That that actually is, I, I think, maybe the the what I was trying to say about where this stuff, you know, how we, how we built um, out once we went ongoing. There are more opportunities to watch our characters eat burgers. Like, you know, honestly. <laughs> Um, in the book now than there were when there were four issues. Um, issue five is is a great example of this. You know where we were like, well let's let's speed forward into the next high octane joyride plot. And then we were talking about it. We we're like, wouldn't it be great if we could just do an issue where they go camping, like where they just go to a place and hang out for a while and let the emotions and the and the um, and the drama and the character come through. Uh, and I think it led to what is easily my favorite issue yet because the book wasn't burdened by us throwing a bunch of plot in there, but rather it was the characters that generated that. Um, and I think that's the first four issues of, of Joyride are character-oriented and they are character-driven, but issue five is fundamentally character-driven. It is only driven by character. And I think that that was right. one of the things we um, – that's what an ongoing gives you, is the ability to stop and smell the roses. Uh, but that's you, why you really I also don't like have that in four to six issues. That's, that's why, like, 
stuff like Star Trek Next Generation people really loved because I mean like there's certain sure. things that you know the you know the overall story arcs are good and all that but people wanted to see what Data and and Geordi were gonna do later in the hollow hollow deck or or um, what's it called the uh, uh, you know, when Worf discovers prune juice for the first time, and then that's like a through line constantly through the rest of his character development. Like those kind of things are so. It, it seems like they're so minute, but people just love that stuff. You know, they gravitate to those kind of little things about the character that people like kind of relate to. But it's like everyday stuff, right? Yeah, no, that's very yeah. true. Like, I think what, there's like one of the two facts that people know about Martian Manhunter is like his issue that he has with Oreo cookies. Like, yeah, that, that comes down to it all. Um, one question I wanted to ask you guys: you know, you're, you're writing a, a story that takes place in the future, um, and it's very clearly like the Earth where all of this stuff that the, that, the, that, our, that our protagonists have run away from is our Earth. And it's our Earth, and it's not like a completely far away distant future, although it certainly is the future. Um, but you're, so you're dealing with, you know, and you're dealing with characters who are from Earth, who are in the future, but not like a million years in the future. And, you know, how do you, like, deal with the questions of, like, race and ethnicity in space mm. in that far in the future? Because you have a, sort of a mix of names for your characters in terms of, like, Kosanova sounding sort of Russian. I'd kind of read do it as being Asian, but I'm not exactly sure. Um, yep. Like, you know, uh, do characters have any kind of racial identity that you recognize now, or what does that mean? Uh, mm-hmm. so that, that's Great question. Yeah, uh, and, and you, you, you bring up something that we've, we've actually been uh, talking about since we started the book, uh, because one of the things that we became very uh, concerned with when we started writing Hacktivist was uh, representation within that community, uh, because you know, truthfully, right, Colin and I are two white guys. Uh, when we're writing comic books, it's really important that we not always just write from that perspective. A, because it's boring as hell for us, but B, because, you know, as, as I think has been pointed out by uh, now a, a, a great deal of the sort of readership and the social media landscape and, and now the publishers themselves, you know, we've had a hundred years in comics of stories from that perspective. It's really interesting to start thinking outside of that. So, when we come to, you know, if we're going to be given the, the opportunity to tell stories at that level, we want to make sure that there are stories uh, that haven't been told or that stories that are worth telling. Uh, so having really tried to think outside of that box in, in Hacktivist uh, 1 with, uh, with Serene, who was kind of our stealth protagonist, uh, the book looks like it's kind of about Ed and Nate, but in a lot of ways it's truly about Serene. Uh, then in Hacktivist Volume 2, where we're dealing with, uh, with Grace and, and uh, in fact, a whole uh, panoply of other characters uh, around her who come from different backgrounds and, and concepts and, uh, and, and have their own perspectives that are educating us, you know, as writers about their perspectives. When we came to Joyride, we were like, how, how deep can we get into that without it becoming definitively our Earth, right? Because as you point out, it's our Earth, but it's not. It's our Earth, but it's in the future. It's our Earth, but we have this wall. It's our Earth, but we've unified. Um, and the way that we decided to look at that was to have it be something akin to what scientists say it will look like if we don't have a lot of, like, nationalism for the next couple hundred years. And you just have a lot of, like, essentially, you know, everybody who wants to have kids with each other just having kids with each other. You're going to end up with something that looks a lot less like um, our current planet and something that looks a, a little bit more uniform in terms of racial background and, and not necessarily mm-hmm. cultural background. That cultural background would become incredibly um, heterogeneous, but like 
there'll be a certain homogeny in terms of like physical appearance. So we so, made a call really early on that we weren't going to have a lot of like a lot of um, recognizable sort of racial characteristics in Joyride. That everybody was going to have a lot of different stuff, um, and that they would and, look Asian, and he could have a Welsh first name, and he could have an Iranian last name, uh, and that that would be a totally normal thing for the Joyride Earth. Um, and that's kind of one of the good things about the Joyriders in, in, in some ways, right? That's one of those things you can look at as utopian if you want to see it that way. Um, but, you know, obviously it, it hides deeper issues that have nothing to do with that. Yeah, and we, we were just really bored with the idea of, like, every future Earth is a racist Earth. Like, even, like, obviously it's an insane issue in our culture and in our current political climate. But there's also some amazing fiction. There's a lot of great stories that have been told about, you know, using racism as an allegory for the future. And it's like, you know what? That has been done. There's a lot of other things that we can use our future to say and to talk about that doesn't necessarily need to be that issue. Um, And one of those things was the fact that, you know, yes, everyone looks a bit the same, but there are these very specific cultural names. You know, the Abderazai family that David and Jorn are part of, that's an Iranian name. But, you know, you would be hard-pressed to have any of them identify as Iranian. And that's really the point, is that everyone looks the same. Everyone's genetics are very similar now in the Joyride future. But also culturally, um, we've started to break down what those meanings, uh, what those names mean and what those cultures mean. Because by removing people from their ability to identify to a specific culture, you remove them from their past, and thus you make them tractable and you make them easier to control. So by Mm. removing them from that grounding, essentially that's the act of fascism. It's not putting people in specific boxes because of what their skin looks like. It's removing them from the boxes they once took power from and putting them all into the same place where they're all treated equitably and fair. And now that's and now that's a very like subtextual thing to Joyride. That's not a thing that we're spending a lot of time throwing in your face or talking to you about. However, there are two things in the book that do really speak to it uh, in, in, a, in a direction that I think maybe is a little bit more direct. Um, and that's, on the one hand, uh, Uma's backstory, right? That the acolytes, that the name she has is not necessarily just a straight-up family name. That's a, that's a word that means something. Um, to be an acolyte in her society uh, has, has, a, has a genre context that we will come to understand more and more and more as the book comes out, as we learn more and more oh. about her history. But one of the things that I think we've already tipped our hat to, um, especially in issue three, is the idea that Uma's parents were, um, were rebels of art and culture, that in this sort of post, as, as, as Colin puts it, in a society that has spent a lot of its time trying to remove your culture and your grounding so that it can provide you with culture and grounding that is unifying, Acolytes spent a lot of time looking at old art. They had old albums. They had old music and uh, art and film and books They have and poetry. They have NWA. And that, and, that that, and that that is illegal in that society, right? And that that's what makes them terrorists. That's what makes them rebels. It's uh, like in Demolition Man. When, like in Demolition Man. When Dennis Leary's <laughs> crew, you know, there's like, oh, we're eating rat burgers and stuff. <laughs> yep. I mean, look. But, but like, that's like beauty genuinely, of, but that's genuinely, genuinely, uh, go ahead, sorry. That is. It is. I said that's no, the beauty true, of our dude. book because we like to take from so many different 
influences in, in movies and things like that. It's not just one thing, right? Mm, true. We wear our influences on our sleeve, and in issue seven, yeah. especially, you will see exactly how on the sleeve our influences can be. <laughs> there is some, there is some very specific uh, it, stuff. We're not shy about it. That's that, for sure. No, we are not, uh, and it's going to be a blast. Um, but then the other aspect of that is looking at uh, at Katrin, and I, I don't want to spoil this too far because uh, people haven't, not everybody's read issue five yet, or anybody who hasn't read the first issue, you know, first trade can get into it. But we we hint very early on that there's something different about Katrin, and we sort of we put more and more and more and more of a of a of a, uh, of a lantern on that as we get through our first four issues that this is uh, that there that beyond the fact that she has a um, that maybe her family is uh has a lot of significance and in fact does i think you know again it's not too much of a spoiler to indicate like her family is deeply deeply embedded in the fascist regime that runs earth and as a result she is kind of deeply embedded in that but that she herself is kind of different um in a way that will come to light and then as we get to that i think we start to see that even in this quote-unquote like post-racial earth there are there are still the others you know, there is still always going to be a a, a, a society, um, a group like the Acolytes, or a um, or just a or just a kind of person like Katrin, who are othered for the sake of the society having something to identify as itself and not something else. You know, uh, and it's that that act of othering uh, that makes Earth so insidious. It's that. Um, that thing that makes us scared of space, that, that thing that makes us scared of acolytes, that thing that makes us scared of Katrin. Um, those are not legitimate fears. They feel like legitimate fears, but all they are is lack of experience with the other. And that when you can look the other in the eye, when you can learn about them, when you can try to understand their perspective, um, that fear quickly drops away. Uh, and is replaced with understanding. And that understanding, that's the joyride. Joyride is every issue is sort of an attempt to understand. And sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. Um, issue six is our scary, terrifying issue, but I would argue that it is exactly this. It is a story about trying to understand. Um, and, seven and is a giant the, party issue that is a story about understanding. You know, And that's our themes, right? I mean, we talked about this. I mean, we talk about a lot of these kind of things beforehand, and the, the, one of those things that we we really try to push with a lot of these these stories we want to do is is just the idea that like all of us we when when we first started talking about Joyride, we we all shared experiences experiences of us being different experiences of us finding ourselves and realizing it's okay to be different, right? And I think a lot of these, and, and also like understanding of other people's differences and appreciating them. And, and I know it's very Star Trek, and but that's probably why we love the series. But but that's, I mean, that those are the themes that we, we've been wanting to push all, you know, right from the beginning because, I mean, that's us. Like half of, the, half of it is just us sitting around the table understanding each other, right? Mm, absolutely. That's really also, fascinating, guys. Also, like, I mean, especially with the climate of the world today, I mean, one of the biggest things that we want to try to do is 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 have people, you know, like look upon somebody else and and empathize with with the the the, 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 the problems that they might be having, even if you're not the one having it, right? Yeah, I mean, how many? Think of it this way: how many young entitled kids? 
from America, grab you know, as much of their parents' money as they can. And obviously there's lots of people that don't do this with their parents' money or whatever. I'm not trying to be, you know, an asshole about it. But, like, how many kids are there out there from first world nations who go and essentially joyride through third world nations, use their money, use their influence, Mm -hmm. use their power to have fun and leave kind of a wreckage behind in their wake, right? That's an irresponsible thing. That sounds like an endorsement for reading No Mercy. Um, (laughs) But, yes. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I really, Indeed. I really like No Mercy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, but I, but I think that's to some degree that's the the point of Joyride is like uh, Uma's not doing that. Uma's Joyride is something very different, and it has a lot. Like she may, she might even think that it's mostly about going out and partying and having fun. But the more that she encounters, I think the more you'll see that her driving characteristic is that everybody understand and be happy with one another. Like Uma's trying to build consensus for lack of a better way to say it. Right. That she's trying to build consensus through everybody else's individuality, not by throwing her opinion at you. Uh, Uma's opinion basically always boils down to, are you happy? Are you free? And do you feel like you have an understanding of the things around you? Then you're good. If you aren't free, you know, grab your freedom by any chance. Are you not happy? Grab happiness by any chance. Do you not feel like you understand the people around you? Go talk with them, dance with them, high-five them, do their hair, give them clothes, like have a blast and figure out who they are Um, because the only reason to be on the road is to encounter that stuff. Just being on the road to have fun on your own is is a a lame road trip in and of itself. Very shallow, shallow, you know, like unfulfilling. Exploitative. Yeah, and I've seen that in fan yeah. reaction to Uma, too. It's funny. You'll see people – I've seen people read issue five and be like, Uma feels much more likable now. And it's like, yeah, because you're, you're starting to understand who she is. That after for, – for, for a time, this sort of like hyper-crazy teenage girl might feel a little shallow and vapid. But once you start to get under her skin a little bit, which, again, the beauty of do, getting to do it ongoing, you start to see that there's, there's something uh, – there's, there's a girl here who was raised by rebel librarians, you know, and there's something, that, there's something different about that person. That's a great tagline on that. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I didn't have that question about her. I, I also appreciate, like, the sensitivity with which you dealt with the interpersonal romance questions that can get thrown at, you know, a story with these sorts of character ages. So mm. bravo on that as well. I think well, also the um, fact that, like, we, we specifically, I mean, when, when we talked about this, like the the romance part of it, we wanted you know obviously like high high uh, emotional factors and, and and romance falls into it. But one of the biggest things we did not want to do, we did not want to fall on the crutches like well you know they're going to hook up or they're going to be together. The the whole point in the story, you know, in general is dealing with not getting what you want, you know, or dealing with the 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 things that that don't go your way all the time, right? And I, I and 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 we don't want we never wanted we never want any of the characters, in fact, to be based upon like being a significant other because that's not you know that's not I I never like characters like that. And and Agreed. I think it's also so something it's something it's something that I think all young people most young people at least make that mistake of. So, defining themselves by their relationship to someone they care about yeah. and showing, especially with issue five, then you'll see it kind of continues into issue six, 
especially learning that, you know, you have to be yourself before someone else can want to be with you mm-hmm. is a really brutal lesson to learn. Um, but it's so fucking important. Oh, sorry. I don't know if we can swear. My bad. Yeah, um, I do all the time. All the good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> cool. Totally. Um, but it's just it's just an insanely important lesson that we wanted to 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 explore, you know, and especially taking David on that journey and Catherine and Uma to a certain degree as well. Well, and something um, and something's very and, and and that's something that I think is very personal to all of us. I think we've all been that guy um, who has been in that you know, and and I think that we've both been on on either side of it probably of like mm-hmm. having a person in your life who you define yourself by for a while and you really try to like, like make it work and you really try to understand it and you realize like, Oh no, like it is, it is in the act of defining myself by this person that I have uh, fundamentally misunderstood my relationship with this person. (laughs) And uh, you know, I think how you, how you turn that into a friendship, how you turn that into self-understanding. It's it's a big, uh, it's a big journey. And, but that's, that's David, poor David. He's got a lot of, uh, got a lot of heartbreak and growing to go through but uh we've been there we're with him we feel him uh i had, I had somebody <laughs> but you we know had a, we had like, a fan. he never puts on his fedora hat and like complains about the friend zone no he like, doesn't a far better no he doesn't for, like, no issue himself, six issue you know? six is as close issue six is as close as he gets to doing that and it's not doing that it was actually really funny when we realized where he was going we had a whole conversation about the degree to which he was going to be uh the kind of kid who would be on like an mra website or the degree to which he would be a kid who uh you know was like was like the absolute ideal of like understanding of this and we're like well we really want him to sit somewhere between we really want this kid Mm -hmm. to feel like a kid um you know so he's gonna have his bad impulses where he blames her and he's gonna have his good impulses where he understands that it's not her it's she has no obligation to him and i think that those those two things arguing in his head uh, become a big part of, of where this book sits in issue six and as he strives towards understanding um, in the second arc. And we also didn't want David to be like the Peter Parker thing or the anime boy thing where all the girls just fall in love with him eventually. You know, like that's not. Oh, God, yes. These, these are things that, like, these are a lot of, a lot of these things we talk about. Like, let's. What do we not want these characters to be? Also, you know, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of what where we want to go with this, and let's there's other parts where let's just stay away from all these these tropes. You know, some tropes are really good, and we use them a lot in a lot of our books, but others we're just like we got to throw that stuff away because that's garbage, and we can't mm-hmm. use that, right? Now, though, Marcus, you did your best to ruin us by making David so damn cute. Well, I draw everyone <laughs> good looking. I know you do. Ladies, Except, ladies love cool Daywood. Yeah. Ladies love cool Daywood. <laughs> ladies love, ladies will soon love Hunky Birdman. <laughs> Hunky Birdman is every girl's just dreamboat. I'm telling you, just wait for Hunky Birdman. Uh, do we I wanted have to any, try to make uh, him even broier. I even wanted to try to make him broier with or? like tribal tattoos and stuff like that, but I, well, I was like, oh, that no, might be a little no, bit too on the nose. <laughs> Um, I was just going to say, that, or, I mean, do we have, like, uh, characters coming up who are not folks who would map, be mapped as heterosexual in current parlance, which I think would probably be irrelevant by this point in the future, but for the sake of well, argument. Well, we have, well, you'll have to see on issue seven, 
Yay, yeah, I'm just going to say that we are guys who are very interested in uh, all manner of uh, people and all manner of love and uh, exploring that in the ways that we want to explore that. So mm-hmm. hold on, some cool stuff coming. Uh, That's good. And in and yes. and 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 and, and, uh, and we also have uh, a very very hunky uh, sort of Spock Kirk uh, analogs who are showing up. Who I am pretty sure are sleeping together. Uh, so at the very least, we can. Oh my god, can, I didn't even think know. of that. But obviously. Yeah, but, but we at can the same really time put... too, like we 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 gotta like some with some of the things I think we like we were saying about uh, the that ongoing. A uh, dr- little bit drawn, a more drawn out story. The best relationships in any story build from a little nugget, and then you just, mm-hmm. you know, roll that slowly down the hill, and 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 you get something out of it. And uh, I think it would be a very disservice to the characters that we're building relationships with to jump on it right away. I'd have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, fully. But by the end, I mean by, I don't know. Third arc, you should be able to see. Well, I mean, heck, by issue seven, you should be able to see. But, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna throw a little bit more in there every time. So yeah. And and I always feel like the 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 best part in any kind of you know the relationship like that is that that instance where you think it's gonna happen but it doesn't. Kind of like Crusher and Picard. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. That's my right. ship, son. Um, I uh, I hate to do this to y'all, but I have to go. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, no, this is perfect but timing I have, for us. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, we were, we were been, about to say that we tailed you guys for way too long. <laughs> like we are wrapping. <laughs> Hooray. Um, well, you guys it's been a blast. Real, Thank real you. Real quick, where, where folks can find you on the Internet so people can continue to follow your brilliance and careers? Absolutely. Well, uh, sure. you can find me at – we're all going to go at once. Uh, you can find Yay. me at, uh, at Jackson Lansing on Twitter or at JacksonLansing.com uh, or uh, I think Jackson Lansing uh, on Tumblr, though I pretty much only use it for Joyride. Uh, but if you're on Tumblr, Joyride Comic, that's where to find it. Yeah, I am, uh, I'm basically just on Twitter at C.P. Kelly. That's me. And me, I guess I'm on a lot of places myself. As Tumblr, obviously, as you alluded to, it's uh, marcustoe.tumblr.com, uh, at Marcus Toe, and um, Instagram, Marcus underscore Toe89. And uh, that's, then you can see more of my art if you like. And everyone Excellent. should, because Thank it's you. gorgeous. And everyone should. Yep. Yes. Yes, they should. And then we will give you all your money. All the money will be given to you all. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, of course. Really, really great having you, you. And we're we'll keep keep on reading. Thank you so much. Thank well, you so much, guys. Thank you guys thank so you much. Thanks for supporting the book. Yep. Bye no now. problem. Happy to. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Yeah. All right. Uh, so yeah, that was that was a fun. Fun conversation. Uh, for yeah. Those inter- <laughs> for those interested in Joyride, uh, I did retweet it up a link so you could go get the first volume. Now it's out in comic book stores and actually I think it comes out in bookstores tomorrow. So perfect timing. It's almost like we timed this one. 
Um, <laughs> and if that hour and change didn't sell you on the book, I honestly don't know what could. It's an awesome series. I'm sure you agree with me on that one. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, lots of fun. So, so what do we yeah, have in store for folks on the ne- next next week? Do wait, do we have a guest next week booked? Uh, so next week is the third. I think we don't. Karen Berger? No. Wait. Are I no. To do that out loud? No. That's seventeenth. No, we can announce that. That's fine. That's all nailed down. Um, hey, that Karen got... Berger's going to be on the show <laughs> soon. Hey. Yeah, uh, October seventeenth. Uh, she will be joining us for for some of the show, which will be awesome. Um, she's back in comics this week, uh, editing comics with Surgeon X number one, which is out by Image Comics. Um, Sarah Kinney, I believe, is the writer. It's uh, freakishly on uh, timed because I actually just saw a uh, news article about it. Uh, the topic, I think, yesterday or the day before, is basically us running out of antibiotics and um, the world going to shit because of that. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's really good though. Really, really good. Wow, very interesting series. So that is uh, is on shelves on the on this Wednesday, and then Karen Berger will be on the seventeenth. Uh, I believe the tenth we're doing our Luke Cage episode. Yes, Luke that right? Cage episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we'll probably have a guest on the third to fit one person in, but we'll nail him down uh, definitively. And actually, that would be next week. So yeah, we'll 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 probably have a guest next week. Yes, that will be the answer. I'll ping you offline. We'll we'll discuss it. But we got someone we can. I'm excited. In. Yeah, and this will right be a good on one. The website, there's right now on the website. I have the first thing I've written in over a month, which is a close analysis of a very important page from Wicked Plus the Divine. And I'm hoping all fans of the Wicked Plus the Divine go and check it out. It's um on the website right now it's the and we have an, another we have another guest post about the wicked and the divine plus the divine um focusing on the 1831 special which was just released this week so definitely directing and we have another review of the issue so i'm directing all fans to come and check out the wicked plus the divine coverage on graphicpolicy.com yes it was a wicked monday um, mm-hmm. And you can go check us out every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy. Uh, tomorrow is actually, I think the official title is a National Voter Registration Day. Uh, this Tuesday, we will actually have a nice little widget on our site for you to go register to vote if you haven't uh, signed up to register. We take part in that every single year. and. It is an election year, so go out and do your part and go register to vote. And yeah, shocker that we encourage people to do that. Uh, <laughs> you can catch this episode if you came in late, want to listen to it again, or it was so awesome and you want to share it with other folks. It will be up on iTunes and Stitcher probably about an hour or so, and then on SoundCloud and then Graphic Policy tomorrow um, later in the day. So you can go catch it uh, there. Download it, take it on the go, and listen to you what you want. So, as always, thanks for listening. Much appreciated. Until next week, I am Brett. I'm Ilana. <laughs> Keep it key.